Well, good morning, New Heights. Welcome to Global Sunday. My name is Nathan Allen. I'm our global missions pastor. Uh, a, a while ago, a friend of mine said something really funny. He said, you know, um, when a man turns 30, he has to make a decision. And he has to choose between golf, barbecue, or World War II. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, for some reason, when men turn 30, they go all in on one of those things. And I was like, he's like, which one are you going to pick? And I said, honestly, all three. Like, uh, I love barbecue, been smoking meat a long time. I love getting to do that. I got a degree in history. I love World War II. I've seen Band of Brothers three times all the way through, you know, check. Uh, and when it came to golf, I'm like, disc golf, what's the difference? Like, so I just stuck to disc golf. Um, but, but in reality, man, I really do love World War II. And my favorite story about, from World War II uh, is about this one thing that changed the course of the war and no one knows about it. And it wasn't some new weapon. It wasn't the nuclear bomb. Uh, it was actually an ocean liner, an ocean cruise ship called the Queen Mary. Probably never heard of the Queen Mary. The Queen Mary uh, was built in, in the mid-30s. And uh, this ship uh, was designed to sail between England and New York City back and forth. And it was a high-class ocean liner. It could carry 3,200 passengers. It could sail through the craziest of the North Atlantic storms. And it could do it in record time. And it did it all in style. The New York Times called this the most luxurious ship on the ocean. It was bigger and wider than the Titanic. Uh, it was a, a peak, uh, the New York Times called it a peak a luxury at sea. The interior of this ship was filled with mahogany and fine woods. There was marbles and carvings and priceless work of art. Uh, this ship had, get this, a library, a grand ballroom, two indoor pools, a shopping deck, a garden, a nursery for kids, and even a dog kennel. Even Rover was going bougie, okay? This thing was amazing. And, uh, but something happened, though. As the war and the threat from the Nazis started ramping up in World War II, Great Britain just docked the ship in New York Harbor because they didn't want it to get sunk out in the ocean. Well, how would that happen? Well, the Nazis had these submarines called U-boats, and they were roaming in packs around the Atlantic trying to sink ships. And we started sending supplies to Great Britain for the war effort, and the Nazis were sinking all of our ships. And so, um, man, the idea of getting troops to the front was becoming a nightmare. So what could we do? Well, when you're at war, your priorities change. And so the Queen Mary got a makeover. They took all the Nancy, uh, fancy furnishings and, and all the artwork and they put it in storage. They packed up all the fine china. The grand ballroom was converted into a hospital for soldiers. Uh, they replaced all the fancy uh, cutlery with stamped metal trays. The swimming pools were drained and filled with bunk beds. And in a stateroom that could sleep like two people comfortably with a private bath, they gutted it and they put racks from floor to the ceiling and would pack as many guys in there as possible. And this ship, they put soldiers everywhere they could. And here's what's really fun. Even though the ship, they were packed in like sardines, the soldiers actually loved it because they, the one thing they didn't touch on the ship was the luxury kitchen. And so they kept all the chef and all the fancy food. Soldiers said the best meal they had in World War II was on the Queen Mary. Isn't that funny? And so this ship um, they, that was made for luxury and comfort was stripped of all the accommodations because you don't need those in war. You don't need new, two swimming pools in war, okay? And because the Queen Mary wasn't weighed down by all this fancy stuff, it became the fastest troop ship in World War II. 
for the first time in world history, they could ship an entire battalion of soldiers across the ocean, and it could go uh, sail through the sea at 30 knots. I know nothing about travel, but I do know this. Nazi U-boats could only travel at 15 knots. It didn't need a convoy. It didn't need protection. It outran the enemy, and it was so fast, it took troops back and forth crazy across the ocean. Hitler hated the Queen Mary so much, he put a price out on, the, on her head and said, if anyone sinks this ship, they'll get a million dollars and the Iron Cross. And so uh, they hated this boat. They're trying to hunt it down. It was too fast. They couldn't do it. And so throughout World War II, she would make 75 voyages across the Atlantic, taking troops over. Every single voyage, when they would dock, they'd figure out how to get more troops on. And the numbers kept growing and growing. Eventually, she would ship 16,683 people in a single voyage. It holds the world record this day for the most people on a single boat on the ocean. And half of every single soldier that landed on the beaches of Normandy in World War II came over on the Queen Mary. British Prime Minister Winston Churchill said that this ship alone shortened the length of the war by a year. Man, it's an incredible story. I love talking about the Queen Mary. I could tell you a whole lot more. I watch documentaries. I read books. It's so fascinating. Uh, but I love the story of the Queen Mary because I can't help and think about us as American Christians living in our culture. As Americans living in the 21st century, we live in the Disneyland of the universe. You live in the greatest, most opulent country in the history of the world. And man, I struggle with this all the time. In the midst of all of this, you know, I'm trying to raise my kids with a heart for God and a heart for the nations. And uh, I have all the amenities at my fingertips and I just get frustrated by all these first world problems. Like I can order anything I want on Amazon and have it in two days. And when it's a day late, I can't take it. You know, it's like, how amazing is that? My kids get frustrated when we go to Sam's Club and we get hot dogs instead of sushi. My kids are upset they're not getting sushi. Like I didn't know about sushi till I was in college, okay? Like we have all these first world problems. It takes five minutes for my phone to connect through Bluetooth to my wife's car. Drives me insane. Like five minutes, I can't take it. Like we have all these first world problems that are just nipping at our heels. But in the grand scheme of the world, man, it's nothing. It's nothing. New Heights, our culture is a raging stream of messages that are telling us all day, every day, that you need more stuff and you need to have better experiences to be satisfied. And that is not true. We have to combat all of these messages all day. And it's like we're living on a cruise ship. So this morning, New Heights, I want to give us a bit of a wake-up call, okay? Man, for our good and for King Jesus' glory among all the nations, I want to challenge us to look closely at what it would look like if we would reflect a wartime lifestyle. A wartime lifestyle. When you're, what, is, what does that mean? Well, when you're at war, your priorities change. In World War II, people were willing to give up more and consume less and sacrifice to win the war. And as Christians and followers of Jesus, we need to be willing to give up more, to consume less, to sacrifice for King Jesus and his kingdom. So here's the reality. Whether you like it or not, we are in a war. John Eldred said, you were born on a battlefield. You were born on a battlefield. You are born onto this planet in the midst of a cosmic battle of God fighting to save men's souls. Because the truth is, we have an enemy. He's real. 
There's an enemy, the snake, the devil, the accuser, right? He's real. And he hates you. He hates all mankind because he hates God. And we're made in God's image. And so Satan does nothing, but he wants to kill and steal and destroy. God's word commands us to be fearful, to be, to not, not be fearful, but to be aware, right? First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's seeking someone to devour. He is making war against Jesus and his kingdom. But guess what? It will never be enough. Revelation 17, 14 says, they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And all those who are called by his name are chosen and faithful. He's going to win. He's, the king. He's going to win and he's in charge. And there will be a time when Satan and all of his demons will be thrown in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. But it's not today. He still prowls today. He wants to kill and destroy today. You see it in our culture. You see it every day. You see the war that's going on around us. And yet we're living like we're living in peacetime. But we can be encouraged, even though we have an enemy, we have a champion. The Lord is a warrior. Exodus 15:3. The Lord's a warrior. That is his name. Psalm 24, 8. He who is this king of glory? The Lord, the strong and mighty. The Lord is mighty in battle. Isaiah 42, 13, the Lord will march out like a champion, like a warrior. He will stir up his zeal. He will shout. He will raise a battle cry and triumph over his enemies. The beginning and the middle and at the end of the Old Testament is just to remind us, man, this is God's fight. David says the battle is the Lord's. It's his fight. And guess what? He's already won. He's already defeated the enemies. Colossians 2, 15 says he disarmed the rulers, the authorities. He put them open to shame by triumphing over them. He's disarmed the enemy. They have nothing to fight against. He's destroyed death. Like he's literally won everything. But here's the thing. It's not over. He's won the war. Victory is assured, but it's not complete. We've, we've already made D-Day. Now we just have to make it to Berlin. Like that's where we're at in the war. And guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, if, if you've been redeemed by him, He's equipped you for everything you need to join the fight. First John 4 says, he that is in us is greater than he who's in the world. He's overcome the world. Jesus has given us the authority to go out and tell all these captives that he's freed them. God became a man and lived on the earth and gave up his life to pay for you to be ransomed back. You're free. But much of the world has never heard this. Jesus has given us this authority. Man, this all came really clear about a year ago. A year ago, uh, I was invited um, by one of my interns to go to his commissioning service. Um, some of you may remember Luke Ragsdale. Uh, Luke uh, spent four years at the University of Arkansas. He served at New Heights. He was a part of our school of ministry. He served with me at Global Outfitters. And his four years at the university, he went through the Air Force ROTC. And so through that time, he had completed all of his training. And when he graduated, he invited me to go to his commissioning service. So we went to the old airport in South Fayetteville to the Air Museum, and they set up all these chairs underneath a C-130. It was pretty cool. And we all get there. We all line up. And, and there's all the cadets in the front. And, you know, we say the Pledge of Allegiance and Star Spangled Banner and all this stuff. And then at the end, like what uh, the, the big highlight of the whole event is they had this, like, visiting retired general guy who was up there. And one by one, the cadets would walk up and they would place their hand on the Bible and they would swear an oath to defend the Constitution of the United States. And then the general would say this. 
He said, by the power delegated to me by the Constitution and on behalf of the President of the United States, I commission you as the second lieutenant in the United States Air Force. And so eventually the sun moved and I'm sitting there getting sunburned and uh, I get to witness Luke walk up and make his, his oath and he's sworn in as a second lieutenant. And it helped me understand what, what a commissioning is to a greater degree. And this idea of a commissioning, just like second lieutenant Ragsdale, he gets his authority because it's given to him as an officer by the president of the United States. And the president has that authority because it's given to him by the constitution. And as followers of Jesus, he has commissioned us in what's called the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? Well, Jesus tells us, okay, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is known as the Great Commission, all right? Not only is Jesus delegating authority to us, just like a president, what an officer in the army. Okay. But Jesus says, I have all authority in all of the heavens and all of the earth. Forget the president. I trump the president. Okay. Man, Jesus is, has all the authority. He's the Lord of the universe and he is giving authority to you to do what he's commanded us to go and make disciples. Man, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be making disciples. Wherever you are, you need to be making disciples. If you don't know how to do that, there are people at this church who want to help you do that. We have people on staff who can help you do that. What does it mean to make disciples? It's not rocket science, okay? It's not that hard. What God wants us to do is he wants you to be salt and light wherever you are. He wants you to share the gospel with people. He wants you to baptize people. We're gonna have a baptism later today. He wants you to teach people the commands of Jesus and then how to follow them. And you know what's really cool to think about? Jesus knows that you're gonna mess up. You're not gonna disciple people perfectly. But you know what's cool? He's commissioned us anyway. Isn't that cool? He wants to use us to make disciples. So it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter your age or state. Every follower of Jesus needs to make disciples. You need to make disciples of your kids if you're a parent. Community group leaders, make disciples of your community group. College students, make disciples of your roommates and your classmates. Make Every one of us, make disciples of our neighbors, of our coworkers, okay? We all need to be making disciples. But, okay, in any mission, there's something that's called mission creep, okay, or mission drift, and what happens is if you're not crystal clear on your objectives, eventually you start focusing on other things and pretty soon you just totally aren't even completing the task that was set before you. So let's zoom in here. Let's be real specific. How and who does Jesus ask us to make disciples of? It is very clear. He doesn't say, I want you to make the most disciples. If Jesus said, I want you to make the most disciples, we wouldn't go anywhere. We would go where it's easiest and we would just make as many disciples as possible. But that's not what he says. What does he say? I want disciples of all nations. He wants disciples of all nations. What does that mean? The Greek word there is panta ethne, okay? And ethne is where we get our English word ethnic or ethnicity from. There's a group of people that uh, have a career. They're called missiologists, okay? And missiologists are Bible nerds that just study missions all the time, okay? And missiologists use this phrase, panta ethne, to come up with what they call ethnolinguistic peoples. And so Jesus says, uh, these missiologists, an ethnolinguistic people is is a group of people that has their own unique language and culture. And this is who Jesus is saying, I want disciples of them. So which ethnic group does Jesus want disciples of? Everyone say all of them. Everyone say all of them. Jesus wants disciples from every single one. 
Okay? So if we're going to be good soldiers and we're going to obey, we need to ask ourselves two questions. How many ethnic groups are there and which ones don't have disciples? It's that easy. Okay? Now, good news and bad news. Good news, we know how many there are. We've been studying this for a long time. There are people who've made their careers just studying this very thing. There are about uh, over 18,000 different people groups in the world. But 7,400, and that number will fluctuate depending on who's counting and how you're counting, and we can go into that later if you have questions, but about 7,400, about 7,000 of these groups of people have no disciples. They don't have a Bible in their language. There's no Christians or ministers trying to reach them. There's no churches. There's no podcasts. There's nothing. 7,000 groups of people have been rescued. They've been paid for by the blood of the lamb. Revelation 5, 9 says, Jesus, you are worthy because with your blood, you purchased people from every tribe, tongue, and nation of the earth. He's bought every single one of them, but 7,000 of them have never heard of Jesus before. They've been freed, but they've never been told that they've been freed. Holly and I are raising two little girls, Betty and Mary. Man, there are tons of fun. Mary Grace turned three this week. And um, we have to tell them something often, and that is, Delayed obedience is disobedience. So when we say, wash your hands, it's time for dinner, and they say, oh, hold on, I'm not done playing Barbies. Okay, no, no hold on. Okay, go obey and go wash your hands. Okay, that's what you have to do as a parent. You gotta say it all the way. We say, you need to obey right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. Okay, parents write that down. Okay, all the way, right away, and with a happy heart. That's how we need to obey. So here's the question, New Heights. How long does it have to be for Jesus, who has all authority, to tell us to do something before it's disobedience? Because it's been 2,000 years since he gave us this command to each reach every one of those groups, and it's not done. What do we have to do? It's because we're living on a cruise ship. And it's no understanding why every message all day long is telling us to spend money on ourselves and things that we need. And you need, you buy, come on, you got to have more, fill yourself up, you fill your life with junk. Like we're combating against all these things. And so we have to get serious about a wartime lifestyle. The Queen Mary was not supposed to stay in port. She's supposed to set sail. So what did they do? They converted the ship. And that's what we need to do. We need to convert our lives. We need to start practicing a wartime lifestyle, okay? So first things first, okay? We need soldiers. We need global workers, cross-cultural missionaries to go to these places to reach the world. Pull up that map, okay? This is where all of these unreached peoples are. Most of them are in other countries, right? Asia, the Middle East, Southeast Asia, China, okay? Most of these places, you got to know another language. Like, it's hard to get there. Like, and if we're going to send soldiers there, soldiers, okay, it's an analogy, right? If we're going to send global workers there, we need to equip them. They need to be trained, okay? Every one of us need to ask ourselves, God, is my best place in your kingdom plan to go overseas? Because Christ's call to go is so clear and the need is so great, okay? We need to figure out if that's not our best role, if that's not our best place to go there, okay, then we need to have a wartime lifestyle here, okay? But if you are called to go, we want to help you. That's why my job exists. That's why Global Outfitter exists. We want to train you. It would be silly for a soldier who has no training and no weapons to jump into the battlefield. 
That'd be so dumb, right? So why do missionaries go over by themselves with no training? How are you going to plan a church in another culture if you've never planned a church in this culture? Okay, you need to learn language. You need to learn culture. You need to know what it's like to live in another context. And so we want to train you. We've got options. We have internships. We have classes. We have a monthly missions gathering called the missions cohort where we get together. We have dinner. Okay. And we talk, have intentional missions conversation. The next one is this Friday. Okay. Uh, Cinco de Mayo. We're having tacos. It's exciting. Okay. Uh, and so we're coming. We're talking about missions and money. We want to train you and equip you. Because um, just like this poster says in World War II, okay, we want to equip our global workers with everything they need to fight. And let me make this really clear. New Heights, um, every one of our global workers should have everything that they need to go finish the mission, right? Every one of them needs to be equipped. They need to be fully funded. So does that mean if you're not going overseas that you're off the hook? You just get to sit by the pool drinking pina coladas. Is that it? No. No. In World War II, what happened? Who got mobilized? Everyone. They had kids go pick up scrap metal. They had tailors making uniforms. Car factories started making tanks and airplanes. Everyone was involved and everyone did their part. And everyone had a role. Millions of women jumped in. Okay, look at these posters. Okay, why is there a sailor and a soldier with a a mechanic dude with a hammer? Because it takes everyone. It's the, it's the goer and the sender that it's going to take to reach the world. I love this poster. The girl he left behind, she's still behind him. She's a wow, a woman ordinance worker. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> Millions of women, okay, left their homes, and they started working in factories, building guns and ammunition. Is that because women just love to weld? No. Why? It's because we're at war, and you do whatever it takes to win the war. And so if you are not going overseas, the sacrifices that you're making needs to be on the same level for those who are going. Let me say that again. You need to have a wartime lifestyle. We all need to be challenged in this. Practicing a wartime lifestyle and our efforts and our sacrifices should not be any less than our global workers who are willing to leave their homes for the sake of the gospel. Now, we're not making the same sacrifices. Just because they live in a country that doesn't have peanut butter doesn't mean we can't eat peanut butter, okay? But they need to be on the same level, okay? So what does that mean? How can we best serve the cause? The two biggest areas we need to grow in a wartime lifestyle is in prayer and in giving. Prayer and in giving, okay? First of all, let's talk about prayer, okay? Just to be clear, if you don't think this is the biggest thing that we can do, you do not understand prayer. It's like laughing at the power of a nuclear bomb. That's ridiculous. Prayer is powerful. Here's three truths and three words from God's word on prayer. Number one, prayer is powerful. I love the King James Version. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. When you pray to the Lord of the universe for his mission, he does things that are incredible that wouldn't have happened if we didn't pray. We need to be praying for our workers. Many of us have family overseas. We got people we desperately care about. It's so easy to be worried and anxious about them. True story. My sister is a worker in the Middle East, and she's got two kids who've been throwing up for the last three days. We're praying like crazy, but we shouldn't be worried or anxious. Why? Because God's word says, Philippians 4, 6 through 7, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. 
and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. And number three, we are commanded to support our workers through prayer. Ephesians 6.18, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Listen to that phrase, keep alert with all perseverance. Be watchful and make sure you endure because you're gonna forget, you're not gonna endure, okay? Keep alert and make supplication for all the saints. We have to be praying for our workers. I love what Dennis Peterson says. Dennis Peterson uh, is kind of at the helm of the Fayetteville Prayer Room. And he leads groups throughout the week that are praying for our missionaries. And he once told me, Nathan, I love being able to pray for our global workers because we are helping them by calling in spiritual artillery. Isn't that cool? We're calling in spiritual artillery. John Piper makes it even more clear in this quote. Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie, not a domestic intercom for ringing the butler. It's a wartime walkie-talkie to call in firepower because the enemy is greater than we are. And if you try to turn this into a domestic intercom to bring another pillow, it malfunctions and you wonder why. It's not made to be an intercom. It's a wartime walkie-talkie. When we pray, God does spiritual things. We're do this is a spiritual battle. God's word says we don't, we don't struggle against flesh and blood, against spiritual authorities. So spiritual warfare needs spiritual weapons. We need to be praying for our workers. So here's some practical things we can do to better pray and remind ourselves to pray. That's the number one. That's the first one. Remind yourself to pray. Okay, most of the time we forget to pray for our global workers. Like we just forget. We get busy, life gets crazy, and so we just forget. So set an alarm on your phone. I just talked to a guy this week. He texted me out of the blue and said, hey man, a couple years ago at Global Sunday, you challenged us to set an alarm for 10.02 because Luke 10.2 says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. He said, I've been praying it. Uh, not every day, but I've been praying for it a lot whenever it goes off. Man, we need to remind ourselves to pray. Set reminders in your calendar. That's how you do stuff you forget to do, right? That's how I do it, right? You gotta remind yourself to pray. And there's things you can do to make it fun, okay? But we need to remind ourselves that we need to pray. Um, you need to get equipped. You need to know how to pray, okay? How can you pray? How, how can, you can join our prayer teams. Dennis Peterson has groups that meet throughout the week. There's a Zoom meeting every Thursday that we get together and we pray for our global workers. A lot of times our global workers get to join. You can talk to Dennis Peterson and go to our group in the back. Dennis emails every one of our global workers every month, collects all of their prayer requests into one document and then sends it to Ruth. And Ruth, who runs like everything at this church, okay, Ruth has this document and she sends it out to a team of people to pray for our workers. You can get that every month and know specifically how to pray for them. Another thing, the third thing is just to be practical and be fun. This doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be a chore, okay? And one of the things we like to do at my house, I call missions munching. What is that, okay? Well, we used to just pray for the different workers at dinner, but then we got a great idea. If we started just diversifying our uh, cuisine, okay, then we could start praying specifically. So we make Thai food and then what? We pray for our workers in Thailand, okay? And then we make Indian food, and then we start praying for our workers in India before we eat dinner, right? It's really easy. We pray for Mexico every single week, okay? <laughs> Man, it's really easy to remember, okay? Now, here's the thing. If you don't remember, like if you can't, uh, first of all, some of us need to diversify what we eat, okay? You can't just be praying for Hamburg, Germany every, every day, okay? <laughs> but, there's so many opportunities and ways we can pray, okay? And you know what? You may not hit every country, okay? You may not eat Cambodian food. That's fine. It's just, we're just trying to make it fun, make it practical, ways we can remember to pray for our workers. 
All right, and I have one final word too. If you're a global worker and you're watching online, send us your prayer requests. We have workers that won't send in prayer requests. Blows my mind. It's silly for a mission, like a soldier on the battlefield who could call in an A-10 warthog to blast the enemy, okay? And if they didn't call in, but they had the option to, that would be so ridiculous. Global workers, give us your prayer requests so we can pray for you. We have people who desperately want to pray for you. Man, if you're here in your home, make this your purpose, okay? Be a prayer warrior. Pray for our workers. Pray they'd be encouraged. Pray they'd be healthy. Pray they'd be blessed. Pray they'd be effective. Pray that God's word would work powerfully through them. Pray for people's hearts that they're ministering to, that they would be open to hearing the gospel. Pray that they learn the language. Pray that they would um, uh, be encouraged and, and not be distraught. Man, there's so many things we can pray for our workers, and we need to be practical. Have a wartime lifestyle about praying. And if you have a wartime lifestyle, okay, we need to grow in our prayer for the workers, and we need to grow and are investing in the kingdom, okay? Um, I read this book in college, The Treasure Principle, and I reread it last week. And man, every chapter was like a splash of cold water to my face. I'd read it before, but I forget. Man, we just get busy. My wife and I used to have an awesome budget, and we've had kids, and it's crazy, and we're not super practical. But man, this book just totally challenged me because this world's not gonna last, okay? What is The Treasure Principle? It's this, you can't keep anything, but you can send it forward, okay? You can invest in the kingdom. What are we talking about? Well, in World War II, okay, um, they, uh, war is expensive. You know, converting the Queen Mary costs a lot of money. So they had to build all these things and design new airplanes, all sorts of stuff. The United States needed money and they needed it fast. So what did they do? They had these campaigns for war bonds and they would have big tours like concert tours and they'd have celebrities and shows and they'd have people, hey, come buy war bonds, come buy war bonds. They would, um, people were challenged like crazy. 80 million Americans bought war bonds, it's crazy. Uh, and, and towns would have competitions on who can raise the, buy the most war bonds. Here's what's interesting. War bonds, you weren't giving money to the government. Okay, it was an investment. You paid like 75% down on what the note was for, and over a couple of years, it would mature and it'd be worth more. Now, it wasn't a huge return, but it was a safe investment in the middle of war. Like you knew it was a safe investment. So investing in God's kingdom or the wartime lifestyle, not only is the safest investment, but it has a great return. Here's three principles I got from this book. You need to read it. We have a table in the back. We've got stacks of them, okay? They're $7. It's worth every penny. Go buy that book and read it. Look look how short it is, okay? You can read this book. Three principles. One, Psalms 24, one says, God owns everything. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. The world and all those who dwell in it. God owns everything. You don't own anything. He just lets you steward things for a while. On top of that, it says, uh, in a different place, it says that he gives you the ability to earn money, okay? He, he's given you everything. You're just a steward for a while. It's not yours. So quit being selfish. It's not yours, okay? Uh, number two, he commands us to invest it eternally and not in this world. This is two commands. One, do not lay up treasures on earth. That's a command from Jesus where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. This is the other command. Invest in heaven where it won't be destroyed, okay? It's a double fold. You cannot keep anything in this world. 
A time is coming where your ticket's going to be punched and it's over and everything you have is going to get sold or taken away. I was in a missions base earlier this year and I was walking through the halls. It was in Wisconsin's New Tribes Mission, Ethnos, and they have this poster on the wall. And it's supposed to be a joke. It's hilarious. Why? Because it's a hearse with a U-Haul in the back. And that should be sobering to us. You can't take it with you. So what are you doing storing up treasures on this world? It is not going to last. But when you invest in the kingdom, there will be greater rewards for you in heaven. Jesus says so. Look, it's, if you were holding Monopoly money in your hand, okay, at, when the game Monopoly is over, only an idiot would be keeping the money, right? Monopoly money's not worth anything when you're not playing the game. This game of life is going to be over. And every dollar, what's going to happen to the end of the world? Man, you're going to be judged by God. Invest in the kingdom. And the third thing is this. You may not care. You may not be excited about the nations, but guess what? Jesus tells us why. Matthew 6, 20. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart follows your money. Some of you don't care about the nations. I'm about to step on some toes. Some of y'all don't care about the nations because you don't give to the nations. And some of you care deeply about the hogs because you give so much about the hogs, okay? Now, here's the deal. I love the hogs. I was a mascot in college. Woo pig, okay? But the Razorbacks will not last forever. They won't even last a season, right? That's the Razorback mantra. Hey, next season, that's when we're going to be great, you know? No, man, we need to invest in eternal things. So start now. Your heart follows your money. Start giving, and then you're going to start caring. John Piper says this, God gave us money for us to show the world that we love God more than money. God gave us money so that we could show the world that we love God more than money. It's going to be gone. Now, let's just be real honest. Most of us are not in a place to do this. We cannot sacrifice financially because our finances are a mess. Listen to this. The number one cause of divorce is unresolved conflict, and the number one reason for that is finances. Families are drowning in consumer debt. 70% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Two out of three families in the United States have zero budget. Children, I'm sorry, not children, Christians are giving 1% to 2% of their income on the average. Most U.S. workers reach retirement and have nothing saved. Many families and individuals are living in stress like crazy. We have consumer debt. We're spending money on all sorts of stuff. So the first thing we need to do in wartime lifestyle is we need to go to war on our own money management. Okay? You need a budget. That's the first thing. You need a budget. Now, we happen to have a table in the back for Freedom 5-1. It's a ministry of a coach, a financial coach who loves Jesus, who can help you coach, get out of debt, start saving, and start being more generous. If you're a member of New Heights, we will pay for you to go through that course for you to be a better steward of your finances. We want you to do it, okay? We need to get a budget. If you don't know what you're spending, you don't know what you can be giving, Okay, when you have the reality written before you, it all comes clear. What can you do? What can you give? We need to start, uh, get a budget. Second, money is not wrong. Money is a tool. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But money itself is a tool. And so I love what um, John Wesley said. He said, you need to make as much as you can. You need to save as much as you can. And you need to give away as much as you can. Okay, we need to work hard so that we can support God's kingdom. Okay, we need to be wise stewards. We need to save ahead for what's coming. You got trouble coming. You just don't know about it yet, as Dave Ramsey says. Okay, you need to start saving. And number three, okay, start now. 
Start giving right now. Start small and start now. There is no reason why any one of our global workers should not be fully funded. Every one of us needs to be challenged in giving. If you can only do $5, do $5. Here's a great low bar. Do you give more to Netflix than you do the nations? Okay? Just be, start giving and investing. We have global workers that need funds. We have workers that are here now. They should be on the field. They should be working, making disciples. But you know why they're home right now? Because they need to raise money. Okay? All of our workers, start small. Uh, it's easier to grow in your giving, but if you just start now, your heart will grow there. Okay? Guess what? At the end of the war and everything was over, do you know what they did to the Queen Mary? They converted it back into a cruise ship. Okay? There will be a time where we will have cruise-like lifestyle, but it's called heaven. Okay? It is not now. And so we need to invest into the kingdom of God forever. All right? We need to care for our workers. We need to pray more. We need to give more. We need to invest in, in, in internal things. Um, but listen, in war, there's casualties, okay? Our global workers um, go through really hard stuff. We've got global workers now that need intense counseling and debriefing. Um, they've seen traumatic things and they need help. It's way out of my pay grade, okay? Um, and, and we need support. And as a body, as a church, it's our job to take care of them, okay? We have 15 different workers that need community groups that will adopt them. And you're not legally adopting them, okay? We're just talking about you being their cheerleaders. You being the buddies. Pray for them every week. Send them an encouraging email or a text, okay? It's really easy to do. And in the back, okay, we've got a big poster board up there with every one of our global workers, and we've got ways for you can sign up. If you're a community group leader, we need people to adopt these workers to help care for them so that they can have everything they need. Who are our workers? Where do they live? Okay, check out this video and learn more. Man, can we give the Lord a hand? Isn't that incredible? Man, we get to be involved in sending these people. We, we don't send these people and, and sacrifice and have two global Sundays because it, it's fun and we love it, although it is fun and I do love it, okay? Why? Because we're being obedient to our command of Lord Jesus, okay? So what we're gonna do right now is we're gonna have an opportunity to encourage all those people right now. We handed you this packet when you came in. We've got... Um, You've got a list of ways to get involved globally. Check those out. Fill them out. Okay, ways you can jump in. We got missions conference coming up in November. We got furniture friends you could serve every month. Would they need a lot of help right now? Um, you can come to the cohort, all sorts of great stuff. Okay, but we gave you a note card, an envelope, and a picture of a worker. Okay, if you didn't get one and you want to do it on your phone, you can scan this, scan this QR code and do it. But we're all going to encourage our workers right now. If you have no idea who they are, that's okay. Um, John 3 says you can support them even though they're strangers, all right? Um, so uh, this is a worker, and write an encouragement note to this person. But if you're like, no, 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 my best friend's over there, okay? We've got a list of all the workers on the back, and you can write an encouragement note. We're just going to take a few minutes and do that right now. You should have a pen. Just write this and encourage them. Man, one of our global workers hung this in their house. They framed it. It said, hey, uh, this is my first time at this church. I have no idea what we're doing, but thanks for living overseas. That's it, okay? They framed it and it's in their house, okay? Just write something. Put a Bible verse in there. Tell them you're praying for them. Tell them thank you for what you're doing. Uh, put the name on the envelope. Don't forget the name, okay? And then there's a box in the back and we'll make sure all of our workers get it, okay? We're gonna take just a few minutes and do that right now.
close up. Hey, the only time you pray for workers doesn't have to be on Global Sunday, okay? You can encourage these people all throughout the year. At any time you want, you can go to newheightschurch.com slash workers and fill this out. And you can, you can, there's a form. It shows who you can pray for, how you can pray for them. Um, and just tell and send them a note and encourage them. We'll make sure they get it. Hey, before we leave uh, finishing these notes, okay, I want to encourage you, check out these tables in the back. We got global workers, we got ministries, we got ways you can get connected and serve. Our global outfitters tables, uh, Becca's there in the back, we can connect you if you're a community group leader and you want to adopt a worker. There's more note cards, so you can write more notes to workers, okay? Uh, And we're going to have the opportunity to bless them, okay? Uh, All right, before we go, I want everyone to take a look at this picture. On Memorial Day in 1943, the cover of the Saturday Evening Post had this picture painted by Norman Rockwell. It went viral, okay, it was a big deal. And she was quickly given the name Rosie the Riveter, obviously because her lunchbox says Rosie, she's holding a riveting gun, okay? Uh, By reflecting like a Renaissance artwork, okay, this is based off a painting by Michelangelo, he wanted to show the regal, the, the importance, and the noble character of the women who were helping with the war effort. And let me just say this, no one in their right mind would go up to Rosie the Riveter and say, hey, just because you are not fighting on the front lines, you're not doing your part. Okay, first of all, her arms are bigger than mine. She could probably knock your block off, okay? But number two, the reason I say this, okay, is that look at her, like she knows she's doing her role. And so many times, I talk to so many people who have a, have a, a challenge. <clears throat> they wanna go overseas and, and it didn't happen. It's the death of a dream. But you're not on the B team. You're not, you're not like a second class Christian, okay? Think of Rosie the Riveter. Man, if you're a cinder, live a wartime lifestyle and be the best cinder you can be. And challenge and sacrifice and give for the lamb who was slain. You'll have greater rewards and it's worth it. Jesus deserves worship from all peoples. So hold your chin up. If we're gonna reach every single people group, it's gonna take every single Christian and every single church, okay? So here's the deal. You got a decision to make. You're the captain of your ship. Are you going to live a self-consumed lifestyle of a cruise ship or are you going to work to make your life a fine-tuned battleship to make disciples of all nations? It's your choice to make. We're going to pray right now. Hey, if you are going overseas this summer on a short-term trip, would you stand right now, please? We're going to pray for you as we pray for all our global workers. Stand up. If you're going overseas at all, you're going to visit workers, you're going on a short-term trip this summer, we want to take a chance to pray for you. All right, New Heights, let's raise out our hands and let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for today. Thank you for our blessings. God, thank you for rescuing us. God, we praise you for the gospel. It's what you did for us to buy us back. It's nothing we could do. And God, we lift up our global workers all around the world. We we ask that you encourage them, God. uh, Help our hearts to just be convicted, to uh, remember them, to be practical, that we could sacrifice and be wise with our finances so we can give to them. And God, we lift up all these people in this room standing right now that are going overseas this summer. Would you equip them with everything they need? God, you've given them your son. You've given them your spirit. You want to use them and bless them. God, keep them safe. Protect them with angels. Give them effectiveness with ministry. The people who are long-term on the ground, who they're going to go help, would they be the biggest blessing in the world and not a burden to them? 
God, would you bless them so that the lamb that was slain would receive the reward of his suffering. God, every one of us has a part to play. Help us find it for you and your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.